Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Atom Podcast. My name is Ollie Thompson, your host. We're joined today by Chris Donnan, CTO of Tyler Capital, previously head of electronic trading te- uh, technology at Barclays. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So for the viewers listening in, do you want to give a bit of an intro into Tyler Capital? You've been there now for six odd years, right? That's exactly right. I've been here for, I think it was six years, gone in September now. And I'll certainly, I'll be very enthusiastic today, but I will try my best to be slow and calm and, and so on. But interrupt me, change subjects as you need, help tone down this you know, enthusiasm as needed. Uh, Tyler is, he'll be about 17 year old, 17 year old almost now. Uh, we're a prop trading firm. That means basically there's no clients. Uh, you know, typically a hedge fund has clients, that sort of thing. Uh, I'll, I'll give a very brief, there's kind of three eras of the company uh, and I'll culminate in those, the current era and what's going on there. Uh, first era is kind of after the life trading floor closes, people moving on screen uh, and human traders trading on screen. And of course, uh, Tyler is the name on the wall. James Tyler is uh, the, the, the founder and still our chairman. Uh, he, he started the company with his brother, Paul, uh, and that's the very beginning. And era two of the company is after a very successful human trading uh, migration into on-screen trading, uh, where they were still investing in technology and very much technology believers. Era two, unsurprising, was an algorithmic implementation of some of the things they were doing uh, in era one of the business. And very lucky to say and thankful to say uh, they were successful with round two of the business. Uh, (laughs) So successful human trading franchise moving on screen, successful. uh, The firm has been traditionally focused on short-term interest rate futures. That was very much the firm's history up through these eras. Uh, and now we get to era three, which is where we are now. This is since approximately really 2014 till now, although there's a beginning, uh, a bit of a beginning there. I'll try to use this to just give a, a, a culminating comment on what our mission is at the minute. But basically in this period, we began our current business model. If I jump into jargon, one of the words I might use is Omega. That's um, the name of our business model. It's also the name of our technology platform, as it were. Um, Era three also was really spun up by a guy named Mike Bouchour. He's our CEO. He's my excellent friend. Uh, he's my business partner, really great guy. He kind of brought me here uh, at an interesting moment. And he's the real architect of the new Tyler Capital, as it were. Um, and really the catalyst for that change was set up like an impassioned set of conversations with Mike and, and James, who I've already mentioned. Um, Really, so what are we trying to do in this third era of the company? Um, Well, our mission is to industrialize the systematic application of machine learning to global financial markets. That that genuinely is what we say, uh, you know, repeatedly. It's it's, maybe it doesn't roll off the tongue, but it's actually quite clear. Uh, And since this third era, we've basically stopped doing all the other things we once did and only do that now. in more simple terms, I'm always happy that I tell my kids I get to build fun things that are interesting with my friends. Uh, and that's kind of what it feels like day to day. If everybody could have something where they're building something or maybe helping somebody, uh, they would be perhaps fulfilled in their lives and their careers at least. So that's Tyler Capital and a bit about um, to this moment. Awesome. And some of our listeners 
may not have ever worked in finance before. And so I think to easily summarize and very surface level what every hedge fund's goal is, it's get money and then deploy money to get return. Now, since you joined in 2014, as much as you probably are exposed to investors, that's not your main job, right? Your main job is probably the second aspect, which is deploying money to get return. And so we spoke about the, the buzzword that is machine learning, um, but how have you used AI to increase that capacity to deploy money to get return? I mean, it's, yeah, you, you summed it up in a very clear way. Uh, it's the problem in the financial industry is, hey, uh, can we put money somewhere where it will make money? And you might call that capacity to deploy money. And one way, one way that we've thought about it is automating that capacity or we call continuous capacity production. We use terms like manufacturing. We talk about efficiency. And all these sorts of things are very much about and operations is a big, a big part of what we do. All of that is to um, industrialize this application of machine learning to generate capacity to then deploy money behind it. And that, that really is every business has a problem that they solve. Uh, and ultimately, the problem that we are solving using machine learning is that capacity generation. Another way to think about it is um, maybe back, you know, going back in years, um, we would automate trades that humans were doing. And now you have ultimately quants that come in and they have ideas and they have to test those ideas and implement them. Uh, and that's kind of the next, you know, that's what automated the last batch of trading. And then ultimately this is one way to think about it is using machine learning to automate that discovery process. So we're not massively just interested in having a model that uses machine learning. Of course, that's interesting, but that's not really the main thing. What we are um, like obsessed with ultimately is developing a system to keep doing that capacity generation. So that's ultimately the, the problem that we're solving using AI or using machine learning is to go out there and, uh, and generate capacity by learning how to do it. Uh, so we, in the very beginning, you know, X number of years ago, we had this conviction, and, and I'll, it's, I'll use some internal jargon, but it, it's meaningful. Um, we believe that what we called goal-directed adaptive systems, they were going to dominate the future. And we kind of said, even if we are unable to do it, we still think that's true. And one of the exciting things about this that kind of um, uh, goes, we'll talk shortly about uh, you know people at some point, I'm sure, um, but it's really helpful to have a clear mission to help galvanize people because it's hard, right? Anything hard you're going to do, you need to provide clarity and a vision and something inspiring and something worth doing or else it's just a job and we're not that keen on just a job. Um, a minor comment on like, what is machine learning? What, why did we think it was appropriate? And there's, uh, it goes directly to what our business model is, is really based on. One is adaptability. So if machine learning is learning, uh, a key objective of using machine learning was to achieve that adaptability. As the environment changes, you might need different ways of generating capacity, exactly as you described. So adapting to those new moments in time, that was one key objective. Um, obviously, helping us to really get our, to do that is not easy. So therefore, we had to focus internally on how were we going to achieve like a range and scalability of some innovation to generate this AI to do that, right? And there's all kinds of interesting phases to that. And then finally, um, really is efficiency. 
you ultimately need to be able to deploy these things rapidly. You need to be able to deploy a reasonable amount of capacity about them. You need to be able to know uh, all the metrics and measures about them correctly. So all of that is it's kind of just taking the use of um, where other firms, we use the phrase, uh, it's another great one from Mike, um, build out, not bolt on. Many trading firms just keep bolting on capacity and they'll say, hey, Ali, you're a great trader X. I'll give you a slightly better deal than your current firm and we'll just bolt you on. Uh, the orientation is kind of different here. We want to build a bunch of stuff. And we think that for people also, that's a lot more inspiring than just continuing to bolt on some secret subdesks. Uh, and ultimately, also then it doesn't leave. So if you, if you build it out, there's no one. So Ollie, you're a great trade. You're at firm X. We give you a slightly better deal. You come here. What keeps you here in a year? Uh, if you can get a slightly better deal somewhere else. So that build out orientation focused on our machine learning has been, been quite important. That's uh, awesome. So I'll try to round this out by saying it's, it is um, fun and kind of inspiring. There are tens of thousands of model experiments that have happened. Uh, and ultimately, we, we really believe that having a number of different kinds of diverse skills and then embodying all the different types of skills they have into our machine learning, that's really an important part of what we're trying to do with machine learning here is embody all the intelligences of our community that have all these great different skills and experiences. How can we embody that in this trading agent that represents the firm, right? Build out rather than bolt on. Some, some firms are maybe quicker in a trading space. I think some firms rely on the sort of nanoseconds and as opposed to maybe micro, but how important is it, especially for you from a technology background that everything or for the most part, it's built internally, especially when we are talking about AI? Yeah, so we firmly believe that if you do what everyone else does, you get what everyone else gets. Uh, so again, it's, a, it's yet another mic one. He, he, one of the things that was really appealing to me about joining Tyler was um, basically Mike said to me, hey, uh, I, I know a lot about running a business and I'll help you learn about running a business. So that to me, who's someone who's been certainly involved in technology and trading, automated trading stuff for a long time, that's not the same as running a business. So I think ultimately being able to take all of that uh, and then figure out what the shape of um, our business is going to be was, was really critical. Uh, so, I'm sorry, I've lost myself in my response. Tell me your question again. I was going somewhere and that's gone. <laughs> the importance of building internally. To be honest, I think I think you hit nail on the head. But um, you and I spoke a while back actually, and it's about that scalability. So you spoke about adaptability of AI, really really important, yes. and then the efficiencies of it. Although you're doing it in real time trading now you are playing around with things even outside of the industry, aren't you? European universities, things like that you work with. Is that to help you or is that actually more of a side project to keep your employees engaged or maybe a bit of both? Yeah. So regarding the, so we, we have a, uh, I'll spare you the reasons why, but we we're, we also believe we're a significant IP firm and we write all, we document all of our IP and we, we show what it is because we believe it's such a core differentiator of doing things differently and then embodying that all in IP. We call it slide 38 for reasons that I'll spare you. Um, but it's one of our most important topics with the board is that IP generation and doing things differently. So we, we do everything ourselves because we believe we wanna generate a different outcome for doing that. Now, 
that difference connects directly to your point on European universities. So one of the things, um, there, is, there is a specific European university, they're engaged in a EU funded project on kind of the sociology, I believe, automa of automated trading. And we've been engaged with these people for some couple of years now. And basically what um, they had, I don't know, 150 different firms they spoke to. And they're like, said humbly, they're like, you guys are different. We'd like to talk to you more. So that difference in how you do things is very important. So the engagement with this university has been great in as much as they've helped us to clarify in some way understandings about ourselves. Because when you're in a firm, you're doing what you're doing. You don't, once you're in it for a while, you don't know what's different than everybody else out there. So it was a really interesting kind of almost an outsider's perspective on saying, hey, that's kind of novel. What do you think about that? This is different. And again, it's interesting. And it's, they don't want to know our, our trading models. That's not what they were in it about. They were in, the, in very interested in the sociology of the organization. So this kind of like togetherness and how that yields it and this focus on doing things differently and the sociological relationships with the machine learning thing that's out there in the market and how we engage with it through the tools and so on. So I think we did it because there were people who were interested in interesting things and they, we went on a journey of discovery together, understanding things about ourselves as understood by them. Uh, so one of the topics they landed on is this idea that we hadn't heard about before. Um, we, we were very, um, very, very engaged on keeping everything like integrity off the charts positive, uh, keeping everything crazy robust as any firm doing automated trading needs to be, but even then some because we're both high frequency trading and machine learning. So when you put those together, you have to be really above reproach uh, with your systemic robustness, I'll call it. And they, they gave us this phrase called HRO, which is high reliability organization. And we, it's a phrase we hadn't heard before, but they're like, hey, you guys do this. That kind of matches this literature. And you guys do that. And that kind of matches this literature. And it's, it's a domain that typically had been applied to like aircraft carriers and this sort of stuff. Uh, and they actually started focusing and saying, this is what you guys are doing. Uh, and that's, that's just an example of this journey of discovery where they see us through slightly different eyes and we can then learn through their experience of seeing us and seeing what's different. Brilliant. You just caught me drinking from my love heart mug there as I was letting oh, you finish. Very um, sweet. Can't complain. Exactly. Um, everything you said there has led on to a really, really important topic that you mentioned earlier, which is probably culture. Now, it's not too uncommon to see someone moving from sell side to buy side like yourself, but that piece with the fact that you was almost one of the drivers behind, was it phase three you said? rather than phase two, phase three. Yes. And with that, you bring in someone from a certain culture and I guess culture is probably at the forefront of this new um, phase for you guys. Putting AI at the forefront of your strategy, taking human touch as far away from it as possible in terms of the end product, mm. you need to hire people that are embedding the right biases into this AI. So how important has this culture been for you? Uh, again, I'll, I'll refer to Mike. Uh, he, he's always By the way, said, Mike, we keep talking about him. So he's he, the best friend and a CEO. Incredible. He is. Absolutely. Fantastic guy. Again, I'm, uh, I got to credit him because he's got so much to do with all this stuff. So his name, his name has to come up. Uh, but he's always said it's as much a social experiment as a business. So that goes directly to the heart of this community topic. 
so we, we, we actually call, we use the word community intentionally. Community is different than other kinds of cultures. Uh, community, uh, they expect things of you, but they also give things to you. Uh, we think of togetherness really as a core value. And it's another, it's another funny thing. Togetherness sucks if you don't like who you're with, right? So you can only have togetherness as a positive core value if you've really sculpted it. And part of yeah, Mike's genius really in this case was consciously designing it as a social system. So these like togetherness and values and our purpose and having rituals at the right time to bring people together, especially when you're going through a big change and well, you know, like as in when we're changing phase three of the company, but also in times now like COVID where the world is going through a change, all of this careful curation of getting together a, a consciously designed social system that really is a supportive community, that makes a huge difference. So obviously communities of people win much greater than individual stars. Uh, another phrase we use internally is competence and character. And this certainly in the beginning, we had a lot of people that had amazing character and competence, but their competence wasn't in the direction that we were bringing the business. So for example, we had, I don't know, 15 testers in the beginning. And we said, well, we're gonna be focused on efficiency. We're gonna automate it entirely. So they certainly were competent and they had great character, but in the end, we don't have any testers today because it's been fully automated. Uh, people, of course, carry out testing, but we have no dedicated manual testers anymore. Uh, so I would say we have a, a culture code that really we like to think of as the operating system that powers the community. And really you can't go through a big change if you don't have the right culture in hand. So you, you referred to in the beginning how you go through this kind of cultural change. And I really remember going through like personal agonizing around how are we going to change the place when we have all these great people here. Uh, you know, there are people who are at Tyler and David, he's been here for the employee one, 16 years here already, right? This, this is a firm that has the, you know, loyalty and people who stay that long. So it's not easy to say we're going to change things. That scares people. It, it shakes them up, right? Uh, so ultimately, you, you really have to have, if people have more than just jobs, these are things that people really feel deeply about. Um, we, we said in the beginning, we wanted to make this a place that we wanted to work as in we, the leadership team, for example, right? So it's a bit almost greedy to some level. Uh, and then at the end, what you need to do is once you get your culture in, in place and you decide that you're going to be a place where good is okay, right? Good is an advantage that people are allowed to be who they need to be. And then you need to couple that with like great leadership that offers a vision, coaches their people, listens to them. Uh, and I'll offer one small anecdote to close this section. There's a great book that's kind of been inspirational internally called Turn the Ship Around. And it goes a bit to some of the concept of how the culture works. If you have leadership that goes out there and they work to make sure we're aiming at the right thing and inspiring the right people and keeping the direction correct, the idea of the Turn the Ship Around book is um, the people closest to the work really know what they're doing. They should be more like telling management what to do next as opposed to vice versa. Management should set the direction, but the people are quite competent and credible that are doing the work. Listen to them. Pave the way for them to go away and innovate. Uh, and that's kind of very much in the spirit of the Turn the Ship Around book. And we hope, and I certainly feel myself, that's what it feels like internally. And that needs to be curated. Does that, does that book come with the um, starter's manual anytime you hire someone? They get their sort of coffee mark, Tyler Capital, it, they get the book. It should, actually. We're, we're very good about giving. There is a Tyler Capital coffee mug, and I think people usually get those. So there are a number of books that we have certainly circulated internally. 
I'm not sure if turn the ship around is there, but I think you make a good point. When our next joiner joins, we'll make sure that's on the book list. You know what I'm going to ask next, don't you? I need to replace this coffee mug. The oh. one. Oh, I'll make a time capital. Tyler yeah. coffee mug on the way. <laughs> Note made. La- last thing on that culture, Chris. So you've come from a certain background. I presume other people that have joined Tyler, as much as they all have an innate trait that I believe probably resembles most employees there and embodies honesty, togetherness, brilliance. Does it still need you to come in and say, you know what? I don't know what the perfect culture looks like. Mike doesn't, we all don't. How do you get to the point where you actually define what what the culture should be? Because typically people, that there is an unconscious bias towards sort of following what you've learned once before. And coming from a large corporate, like a bank, surely it's really hard to get away from that. Yeah. Um... We certainly have had, I'll say, overtly failures with certain people coming specifically from a different different kinds of culture. Yeah. Um, so specifically, we've had, I can think of one example of someone, great guy, very talented, uh, investment bank background, and it just didn't work, basically. He, the word we, um, you might think is like institutionalized. It's hard to kind of change and fit in. Um, also, things things do change through time, but it like the environment changes more rapidly. At the bottom, you have things like values. At the end of the day, if we get people who have shared values, the right things are going to happen. Uh, you have shared values. If you don't have shared values, it's harder. So you got to build the base of that pyramid so that, of course, the environment will shift around. And then, of course, you'll have cultural adaptation. Like, again, in COVID, the environment shifts. Of course, things are different. And you culturally adapt. We would have said togetherness is important. Everyone loves to be together in the office. But we adapt. We make it work when people have different levels of comfort with going to the office or working from home. So that's but the values don't change, right? We still believe that being together is important, but now we have to pay a little more of a vig to actually keep connected because digital medium instead of being sat next to the guy. Uh, so yeah, there is no perfect answer, unfortunately, except to say, um, keep connected to your people, uh, listen to them, and, and ultimately as things change, adapt. So we use the phrase GDAS before, and we really believe that while our system is a goal-directed adaptive system, so is the community. Right, so we have to adapt and flex a bit, but not really at the bottom. Again, uh, our values aren't gonna change. We wanna be pioneering, that's not gonna change. If someone comes and they're like, I wanna be bureaucratic and lock down the pioneering spirit, they're not gonna fit in, right? We're not gonna adapt to that. But if someone says, you know what? I really, I think it's important to be with my families and on Friday afternoons, I have to go pick up my kids. Hey, great, you know, <laughs> there we adapt. Very, very normal people is what I've, I've realized over time with you guys. It's, I, I mentioned it on my introduction on LinkedIn earlier this week around um, the podcast coming out. And I said that although we're speaking to industry leaders, CTOs, CEOs, and people may think, you know, these people are one in a billion and whatever it may be, especially some of the listeners now who may be sitting in a hedge fund or a bank as a software engineer thinking, how do I get there? Down to earth put the kids to bed at night, wake them up in the morning, very normal. And I guess that brings me nice, quite nicely onto to you because I think there will be a lot of listeners that will be probably resonating with some of your thoughts thinking, you know what, I've got that same mindset. I want to work in that environment. Let's talk about your background. Because when you, when you hear CTO, you, you think, what a PhD, Cambridge, Oxford. How, how did you, where, where did we start off? Yeah, so... I think my history is, is, is certainly a different one. Uh, of course, one that I'm 
I can't change it, so I may as well be proud of it. Uh, I think ultimately also maybe it gives any reason to think that I have any information where my, my signal is greater than my noise, maybe, maybe the history helps. Um, specific, so I went to school for audio engineering. Um, I actually left university and did a, a, a startup music business with some people. Uh, we kind of did a spin-off technology company in the mid nineties. And then I really, I was lucky enough to get involved with building, we did some work with Yahoo and I got involved with building ultimately like the 30th and the 60th busiest sites on the web in the late nineties. From there, I got really interested in the concept of um, optimization, and we were working on how to optimize payoffs for web traffic, right? It's an optimization problem. Uh, and I had some friends that were working uh, on Wall Street in, in New York, uh, and they were like, hey, this is kind of interesting. Sounds a lot like a trading problem I'm trying to solve. So I wound up doing, I had an era of consulting, which was really the beginning of my finance career post uh, the beginning of the technology career. Uh, and that was really working at investment banks in New York. I also did a bunch of just consulting on standalone automated trading systems. And I built an optimizer for optimizing automated trading systems. Uh, so that really is the very beginning of the career. I ultimately worked um, after the investment bank phase, I went to a fund called Polygon. Uh, I moved with them from New York to London. Uh, and that was the job before going to Barclays and you've already described that. So why do I, um, why do I bother to share that with you? I think it's interesting because um, I think people with different paths I think it's an edge. I think it's an advantage. Uh, I have a 11 year old. Uh, I'm sorry, I, he would kill me. I have a 16 year old and an 18 year old. My 16 year old is dyslexic. And he, I think he thinks of it as an advantage, right? It's a different way of thinking. It has its own ups and downs, just like anything in life, but it's actually an advantage to him in the right circumstances. Just like to me, my weird path, I've always looked at as an advantage. Uh, I certainly look different to other people when I speak to other people. And we went back to like Tyler as a firm. I think if, you know, Mike was the architect of this whole thing and I came in at the beginning of this journey, both of us were thinking differently. Uh, and I, I really believe it's because of our desire to think differently that things are different. Uh, so yeah, a different path is great. Uh, you know, of course, I think my personal path is dominated by luck and people can't choose how they get luck, but you can act as if luck will turn up eventually and try to make it happen. And it probably will. You create your own luck. And I think anyone listening would agree with that as well. It's been a pleasure, Chris. I think to summarize on what you've said so far, if I could do it any justice, you've got excellent people. I know for well on my side that you hire rarely, but when you do hire, if it's not through your personal network, which it typically is, it's because you're hiring someone that, has probably as much of a need as you do. They need to join a place that puts machine learning, not just on the job spec, but at the forefront of what they do. And they need to join a place that's culturally open and progressive for them. And they need to be the right person for you. Is that the main reason why 2014 to 2020, 2021 now, you've got to where you are? Is it the people, the right hires? It's absolutely the people. And I would say, so first, in any work, choose who you spend your time with, right? So there's an aspect of people. These are the people that are going to sit next to you. So we've been lucky enough to choose people that we want to sit next to. It's almost just a very fundamental human thing. Choose the people to spend your time with. I think maybe what people come here for is often what you said. People come here because in the beginning, because they trusted some of us who were here. Uh, and they, they make a, a bet on it. And 
often they've brought people after they've decided that that was that this is their home. Um, I think people, of course, are attracted to doing machine learning. I think what keeps the people though is actually the is actually the culture, as you call it, right? The, that community effect, like any any firm who's been where they have a, a culture or community that they feel strongly about, that's actually what keeps people there. But certainly, the last couple of hires, um, you you could see, in essence, they said. This is a firm where, like, I feel like I could actually live here and work here with, as you said, like normal, excellent people. Uh, they're excellent people, but they're normal people, right? I want to have a plan with them. I want to talk to them. No one's said anything that makes me feel small, uh, right? And by the same token, um, they're doing something really interesting. So I think leadership, again, part of the job is to have a vision and kind of hold it in your mind and drag it kicking and screaming into reality. People are inspired by that. People love that they're doing something hard and different. And that whole, that whole thing needs to be glued together by the culture or else it, the hard starts to dominate. But I think whether you're in the hedge fund industry, if you're a leader right now, if you're an engineer, even if you're in the recruitment industry, some of the key points you've made now are so relevant to the masses. Innovation, if I had to make it more broad, doing things differently, if you do the same thing as other funds, you'll get the same results. The point you made at the start and in culture and or people. So awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much for it, Chris. There will be another episode next week. If anyone else wants to listen to this, you can listen to it on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, everywhere else. It'll be on LinkedIn. I'll put Chris's LinkedIn details on the post as well so you can follow him, connect with him, reach out to him. Until then... We're recording this before Christmas, so have a lovely one. Is it in the UK? I presume Absolutely. it will be. Absolutely, it will be. <laughs> Even if we could go somewhere else, we'd still stay. So <laughs> Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. Cheers. Cheers.